Welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Myers. Today, I am interviewing Mark Castell, co-founder of the famed Cornucopia Institute. This organization is dedicated to protecting small-scale organic family farms, the wisdom of, of sustainable and organic agriculture, and the quality and integrity of the food we all eat. The Institute regularly engages in campaigns and lobbying efforts to protect or enact laws that favor small-scale farming and organic standards. Today, we're going to be talking about the future of organic standards and how seriously our food supply is in jeopardy. But first, I have to do a little disclaimer. Please keep in mind that this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. The Live to 110 podcast is solely informational in nature. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment we suggest on this show. If you're interested in shedding a few pounds these holiday, uh, this holiday, I just put a new and improved version of my Live to 110 by Weighing Less e-guide on the site. So if you want to learn about the latest science on weight loss or the modern paleo diet, my version of paleo, go to livetoone110.com and sign up for my free 35-page Live to 110 by Weighing Less e-guide and my 14-part series about the modern paleo diet. Today, I am honored to have our guest, Mark Castell, on the show. Mark is the co-founder of the Cornucopia Institute, a populist farm policy research group based in Wisconsin. He acts as its senior farm policy analyst and directs its organic integrity project. For almost 20 years prior to Cornucopia's launch, he was president of M.A. Castell & Associates Incorporated. His professional practice included political consulting, lobbying on behalf of family farm groups, and business development work benefiting small-scale farmers. Mark played a key role through his research and policy work in bringing great media scrutiny to the horrors happening to cows on dairy farms using RBGH a synthetic growth hormone used to increase cow's milk production on dairy farmers beginning in the 1980s. Mark continues to be closely involved in monitoring the seriously flawed management of the National Organic Program at the USDA. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. I know you have many, many requests for interviews and are very much in demand, so I just want to thank you again for granting me an interview. That's great. Well, we share your interest in food and health, and fundamentally, it's a lot cheaper to be in the cancer prevention business or the pollution prevention business than for all of us as a society to pay for the remediation after the fact. So good food is is really the best medicine. Yeah, it really is. It's just it's the foundation of our health. and. And it's sad in the United States, our government is just not protecting our food supply like like other countries enjoy. So it's, it's very upsetting. So I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that today and get your take on what is happening with our food supply. So can, why don't we start with what exactly is your capacity at the Cornucopia Institute and what are you trying to accomplish there? Well, we basically, this we're about to have our 10th uh, anniversary um, at the beginning of 2014. Um, we formed when we saw the corporate takeover of organics uh, taking place 
um, uh, again, about 10 years ago, we had uh, consumers opting for an alternative form of agriculture and food production because, quite frankly, they didn't trust the FDA and the regulators. They didn't trust the industrial model of uh, food production that depended on uh, toxic agrochemicals um, and drugs and um, inhumane confinement of our livestock. And they were voting in the marketplace for a, a different kind of ethic. And um, we saw that being compromised. And so Cornucopia acts as an organic uh, industry watchdog. We're a governmental and corporate watchdog. We look at other um, marketing vehicles other than strictly the organic label, or though we think in terms of commerce that has the biggest bang for the buck for farmers and for accessing authentic food for consumers. But we also look at um, marketing schemes like CSAs, Community Supported Agriculture, Farmer Direct, uh, Farm Markets, quote, local food, to make sure that uh, when consumers invest more in terms of money, go out of their way to buy uh, these alternative uh, models of, of food production and food quality and food safety that they're they're really getting what they pay for. So I think a lot of people are confused with what organic really means. So why don't we begin by defining organic? Well, I should remind your listeners that before around 1950, after World War II, virtually all farms in, in the world, and certainly in this country, were um, under organic management. We did, really didn't uh, see the widespread proliferation of of toxic agrochemicals until after the war. A lot of them were byproducts of the, of the war machine. And uh, so there are um, there were advocates for organic farming even before the wars because they were really questioning the impacts of synthetic fertilizers on the environment and on the quality of our food. And uh, But it wasn't really until the 1980s where in earnest a commercialization was taking place um, and organics were becoming more readily available in the marketplace. First in the 70s and 80s at the, the nations, uh, they're now about 300 cooperatively owned uh, grocery stores, co-op grocer, natural food grocers. And, and then uh, now today at and, and mainstream groceries and Walmart at, at thousands of farmers markets around the country, it's growing. So the access has increased dramatically and it's grown into a $30 billion uh, business sector. So we have uh, all the big players in corporate agribusiness, wh whether it's uh, Dean Foods has been in the dairy business or General Mills, Kellogg's, Kraft, uh, you know, they all own organic brands. So originally, to specifically ask your question, what's organic, there were a lot of definitions. Um, by law, Congress passed the Organic Foods Production Act that said that there would only be one definition. And it was a very progressive law that allowed diverse stakeholders in the organic communities, uh, farmers, uh, certifiers, retailers, manufacturers, to all collaborate on setting this standard 
so that when people bought organic food, they would know what it is. And, uh, and then they charged the USDA with enforcing the standard uh, to prevent fraud so that ethical um, participants, uh, industry participants like farmers and business people, weren't um, disadvantaged by following the law and also protect consumers. So in a nutshell, Wendy, organics means that we're farming, um, uh, producing food in consort with nature, that we uh, concentrate on soil fertility, basic soil fertility um, for the nutrition of the plants, that we concentrate on preventing uh, pest problems in plants and in livestock rather than using um, uh, chemicals to treat and uh, so in general, the, the shorthand is um, the land that produces organic food has to be free from uh, synthetic and toxic um, chemicals, um, be them uh, fertilizers, petrochemical-based fertilizer, uh, toxic insecticides, uh, herbicides or weed killers, the, the animals um, are prevented from using many of the synthetic and toxic parasiticides. Um, antibiotics um, are banned from organic livestock production as are uh, synthetic hormones for growth promotion. Uh, so a lot of the hot button issues, including genetic engineering, that people have concerns about for good reason uh, are prohibited in organic production. Well, I hear a lot of worry that consumers feel that the USD organic seal may not be protecting consumers like they thought. Can, can you explain exactly what the USDA organic seal means and can it be trusted? Well, um, the only way you can sell, other than very small, under $5,000 local um, marketers, the only way you can use the word organic is to be certified. Um, and the use of the organic seal is optional, but anyone who's certified has the option to put that seal on their packaging or if it's at a farmer's market on their sign. Um, and what it means is that uh, we have these standards um, and a independent third party certifier uh, comes out, inspects your farm or, or processing plant, inspects the audit trail, the, the document trail in terms of where you buy your inputs, if you're raising chickens, where the chicks come from, where the feed comes from, if you're not raising all your own feed, any kind of health care products you're using to make sure they conform with the law. And to, to prevent conflicts of interest, because if I'm a farmer and someone comes out to inspect me and I pay this, this certifier $1,000 to to assure that there's not just a wink, wink, nod, nod, everything's cool, please give me your check. Um, the USDA doesn't actually certify any farms. They, in essence, certify the certifiers. So once every few years, they audit uh, the certifiers, record keeping, how they're certifying, and assure that they're enforcing the law properly. So in other words, if Mark Castell's an organic farmer, as I was, 20 plus years ago, um, you don't have just my word to take for it. It means that I went through a rigorous process of inspection 
and and the USDA accredited certifier is also concurring that I'm following the regulations. Okay, good. So it can be trusted. You feel it? Well, the the law, according to the way it's been written, is a good law. It's sad to report that the USDA has not been as rigorous in terms of their oversight, regulatory oversight of the program. And that's part of where Cornucopia comes in as an industry watchdog. We're a governmental and corporate watchdog. And it's very important that all organic stakeholders, farmers and consumers and business folks, uh, really strive to protect the integrity of the organic label, that, that it doesn't just become a marketing ploy uh, for big agribusinesses to make a quick buck with. So we're not entirely satisfied with the way the USDA is implementing the program. It's certainly worth fighting for. We don't have many alternatives in the marketplace, uh, but sadly it's becoming a, a bifurcated uh, industry structure. We have uh, CSAs and farmers that sell at markets, farm direct marketers. We have the um, network of co-op grocers around the country, which are basically the portal for accessing local organic food in your community. and. And we found virtually no exceptions to trustworthiness in, in these areas. And along with those uh, highly uh, reputable organic uh, producers, we have a handful of really wonderful larger companies that are walking their talk. They, they tend to be independently owned, still um, owned and managed by the families that founded them. They have a real heart connection to what they're doing they're certainly in business to make a profit, but they don't seem to be driven solely by that mechanism. And, and two that I really like to call out because they're two that, that I have a lot of respect for personally. I should emphasize Cornucopia doesn't endorse any brands. Um, but I also know the owners. I've visited with them. I know what they've done in the community. I know that they, it's <laughs> sad to say, be, it's the exception. They actually know many of the farmers they buy the commodities from. And one is Nature's Path. They're the largest producer of organic cereals, in the um, breakfast cereal in the United States, and, and, and a few other diversified products. Um, they've uh, proven that you can be quite large and not lose track of the values you were founded upon. And um, Eden Foods, based in Michigan, Nature's Path is based in British Columbia, Canada, but they have plants in the United States also. Eden Foods based in Michigan, um, they have a very diversified line of packaged goods, everything from soy milk to, um, to seaweed. Um, and uh, they are controlled by their CEO, um, who still has a really fierce attachment for their brand reputation and what organics mean. So um, just because they're, uh, you have a big brand doesn't mean that they're compromising. So, so that's one half of the equa uh, organic equation. And then the other half are these large corporations that um, need to be watched carefully. It doesn't necessarily mean that if, if it's an investor-owned corporation, they're not doing the right thing. But all too often we find that, that they are willing to make compromises um, and the trade association that 
represents them, the Organic Trade Association, they're all willing to uh, buy organic milk for their packages or their cheese products, packaged milk or cheese products from, I wish I was exaggerating, 10,000 cow factory farms, quote, organic, or eggs from barns with 100,000 birds that never go outside, or Chinese imports. And uh, I'm sorry, but we don't even trust the Chinese for the ingredients in our dog and cat food any longer yeah. after after the melamine scandal. Why would we trust them for the soybeans that go into the soy milk for our children or that are fed chickens or the uh, frozen vegetables that are sold at um, um, Whole Foods or under the organic label or somewhere else? Yeah, there's no oversight there. Well, there is oversight. The question is how judicious that oversight is, because they still have to go through the certification project process. But in China, the, the government and the military control everything, so it's not as independent as we'd like to see it. And um, there is a, a, a long history of an endemic problem with commercial fraud in China, whether it's uh, intellectual property rights, counterfeiting name brand goods, um, uh, su nutritional supplements. Why would we think organics would be immune from that? You know, if you uh, were doing business at, with a local store and the Better Business Bureau said that this outfit had and its owner had a history of um, screwing and defrauding its customers, would you walk through the front door with a smile on your face um, or would you go to a competitor that has a better reputation? And if you were forced to deal with the store, you'd certainly do so with a much more rigorous sense of, of fact-checking. And we don't see that happening with the USDA. And uh, so we really encourage, not with, just with organic food, but with any food, that um, you should be willing to pay a premium for uh, local producers, where you could look them in the eye and shake their hand, willing to pr pay a premium for US uh, farmers and ranchers who produce your food and uh, be really concerned about whether it's imported from China or South America or India or any other country that are, that are bringing commodities in here because they're not coming in here strictly for quality, um, superior quality reasons. Well, let's lay the groundwork a little bit on one reasons or one reason organic standards may be under threat. Exactly how are organic standards agreed upon? Well, you're right. That is an area that we spent a lot of time scrutinizing, and um, we encourage uh, your uh, listeners to pay attention to. And, and let me give a little plug for the Cornucopia Institute here for a second. If these issues are important for you, we'd welcome your membership. We have no minimum donation, but whether it's $30 or 3000 the money obviously fuels our mission and you can join and get access to our uh, information that will help you choose your products carefully in the marketplace at cornucopia.org. Um, if you're not ready to become a partner in this work, we also have a free newsletter that you can sign up for on cornucopia.org. It's really important that consumers, our urban allies, partner with our farmer constituency because um, Farmers really don't have clout in the marketplace and in Washington. Um, every four years after we um, see the presidential candidates 
kissing the rear end of the ethanol lobbyists in Iowa, you'll never hear about food or farming again. And the difference in the organic movement is that we have just loyal people who really passionately care. We need you to partner with us at Cornucopia, either as a member or a collaborator through our free electronic newsletter and action alerts. You have the power and we need to work together. So um, this area of how the standards are set, how the standards are maintained is very um, problematic. Congress uh, enacted a system where the National Organic Standards Board was created and it's a 15 member body with four farmers and one independent scientist and, and uh, certifiers and retailers, a conservationist, um, all the different stakeholders. Um, and that was part of the deal. There were lots of folks that said, you know, we don't feel so comfortable handing over responsibility to govern organics to the government. This was one of the agreements that um, you couldn't put, for instance, any synthetic used in organics on the list of approved materials or any non-organic food item. Um, for instance, uh, it's impossible to make an organic cupcake um, without baking powder. There is no natural or organic form of baking powder. So that has to be carefully reviewed. And that's the job of the National Organic Standards Board to review the materials and make um, recommendations on uh, how organic food is produced. Like, do chickens, um, how do we make sure that they really get access to the outdoors, real grass and, and better nutrition for the birds, which means better nutrition for us. So part of this grand deal was, was um, creating this board. But the USDA, um, especially during the Bush administration and now during the Obama administration, has stacked this board with corporate-friendly folks. So during the Bush years, I, I wish I could tell you this was a joke, they, um, for the public interest consumer representative, tapped a full-time executive at General Mills to serve in that position. There was such an outcry that her nomination was withdrawn. But we have two, um, quote, farmers who sit on the board right now. One is a full-time employee of Organic Valley, which is a uh, $1 billion, virtually billion dollar in annual sales uh, corporation. It's a farmer-owned cooperative, and they are really much more sensitive to many of these issues than uh, most of the larger businesses. And most of what they do is good, but their representative on the board has voted for a number of um, synthetic food ingredients that we think is a threat to human health and obviously um, not upholding the ideals that that co-op suggests that it represents. Another, quote, farmer on the board is a full-time staff member at Driscoll's, the largest conventional and organic berry producer in the country. They don't actually grow organic strawberries. They contract for production. We've, we question whether both of these individuals could legally be appointed to the board. So far, we haven't prevailed in that uh, uh, debate. But um, we have a board that um, is making decisions that's not as broad-based as Congress had intended. We might end up in court um, trying to maintain the integrity of that process. And 
Wendy, it's not a scientific board, so they need help from scientists to evaluate these products. Are they actually safe or not? And um, we, they, they approved a couple items that really we think were inappropriate. One of them was uh, carrageenan, which is a, a seaweed derivative, but also a potent inflammatory agent that could cause gastrointestinal disease in humans. And we went back to take a look at who, were, who was doing the technical reviews, which Congress provided for. And we ended up that, once again, it looked like um, these were mostly agribusiness executives and consultants to agribusiness that found these materials perfectly safe. So the system of checks has um, broken down. That's why we've stepped forward to review all these materials. If your listeners want to drill down um, and get a better understanding of what's at stake here, we published a report that can be found on, on cornucopia.org called The Organic Watergate. And um, we encourage uh, listeners to take a look at that, at least at the summary, to understand what's at stake here. Yeah, one thing I love about visiting your site is all the food reports and scorecards that you have on many different foods. Like you have one on almonds, one on eggs and dairy and cereals and a, a huge report about carrageenan found in many nut milks and so much more. It's uh, just really wonderful that your institute provides these free resources to consumers so they can make healthier choices. Yeah, thank you. We think the real power is the, the consumer's purse in the marketplace. And so if the if these companies, um, I, I, I pick on um, Dean Foods actually, sold the company uh, on Wall Street, but they still have the same executives, the same investors still own the Horizon brand. You know, they might think it's okay to purchase a very large percentage of their milk from farms with thousands of cows, um, but that doesn't really conform to what consumers think they're supporting. And so, um, and, and some of their farms uh, we found not to be uh, compliant to the law in the past. Um, so we rate, as an example, in these scorecards you referenced, every organic dairy brand in the country. So you can see if they come from family farms where the cows more likely than not have names, not numbers, or whether they're coming from these giant industrial dairies. And um, so we're really kind of plugging the consumer in so that they can make informed cons choices to protect their families to make sure they're getting what they pay for, superior nutrition, um, not just the lack of um, these chemical residues, but superior taste and nutrition. Um, but the, at this, they're simultaneously sending a really strong message to um, uh, the heroes that we support them in this industry and to the bad actors that if you want our patronage, you're going to have to conform to the values this uh, industry was founded upon. Yeah, and definitely one of the uh, the organic standards is to not allow synthetic ingredients in our food. Um, but with Horizon brand milk that you mentioned, they put uh, they have on their label omega three rich when it's actually this synthetic algae oil that's made by a big biotech Syngenta, and uh, there the USDA is just looking the other way. And so I always tell my clients avoid Horizon milk because it. They're not complying. They have these huge factory farms. They're getting their milk from this synthetic, so-called, uh, you know, algae omega-3 oil that humans have never consumed before, and they're just 
definitely not, in my opinion, organic. Well, that was the material that really was our wake-up call. Um, my background personally is in agricultural economics and policy. We were looking much more at the farm impacts of organics in our watchdog work. But um, a couple of years ago, the, the company that actually makes this is in Sargenta. It's a, it's a Dutch uh, company called um, DSM. It's about the same size as Monsanto. It's about a $12 billion corporation. And what they did was th through genetic um, um, mutation, they changed um, uh, algae so that it could um, produce more of the oils. Um, and they're at, they, they've added these to the, we first got involved because they're in almost all conventional and organic infant formula. They were adding them illegally. We forced them to go through the approval process. The, when you approve something for organics, it has to be um, safe for humans, safe for the environment, and it has to be uh, essential to organic production. Uh, approving this material for organic milk is like saying that um, using um, atrazine, a toxic herbicide, is, is essential to produce organic corn. Um, you can produce infant formula in milk and not add these novel um, algae-based compounds. We knew they were illegal because they were extracted from the biomass that they grow in a laboratory with hexane, a gasoline a byproduct um, and a gasoline refinement byproduct that's patently banned in organic production. So this has been illegal from the beginning. And, um, and the f other interesting facts is one, there's no firm science other than um, one or two studies that were um, produced by the pharmaceutical companies that, um, that lead uh, us to believe that this is efficacious, that it actually, um, a Horizon was, was touting this in their ads, that it, it aided brain development. We filed a complaint with the F um, Federal Trade Commission. They were forced to change their communications. It, um, it's really based on some very flimsy science and, and, and high profit potential. The other part was that in infant formula, there have been quite a few adverse reaction reports to the FDA from parents and caregivers. So it, it seems that there are at least a subset of infants that can't tolerate this and become quite ill. So this has no business in organics unless your business in organics is to strictly make a profit. So Dean Foods and DSM flew in lots of lawyers and lobbyists and farmers all saying that we need this in our food supply and it passed the National Organic Standards Board by one vote. We said we would never at Cornucopia allow these materials to get in without a careful scrutiny. So we do our own analysis before the National Organic Standards Board meets twice a year um, to make sure that these things are essential. Uh, I'll tell you how to put more DHA in, or, in real organic milk. You graze your cattle. The more you have them on fresh grass, the higher the um, omega-3 oils and antioxidants are. So we don't need to add these things. They're gimmicky um, marketing vehicles. But uh, Organic Valley wanted a DHA milk, 
they aren't working with DSM. Instead, they're adding fish oil to their milk, which in taste test doesn't change the taste of it. And so if mothers want higher omega-3s in their milk, they can uh, seek out the best brands on the organic scorecard um, from uh, Cornucopia, the farmers that are really dedicated to grazing, or they can buy some with Organic Valley's uh, fish oil, or you know they can buy the very best milk and then go to the store if they really want to have higher levels and, and buy fish oil capsules or um, um, cod liver oil uh, supplement for their children. Um, you know, we just want to really concentrate on real food and authentic organics. Yeah, I, that's I drink only raw organic grass-fed milk because you don't have to. It's not a processed food. It's just straight from the cow, and you don't have to add anything to it, or it's just real milk. What a miracle! Where are you wow. located, Wendy? Oh, I am in Malibu, in California. Malibu, California. Well, you're lucky because in California. Um, it's legal to sell raw milk in the grocery store. In Wisconsin, it's illegal to, uh, for farmers to invite people to even buy it off their farm, fresh as you can get. Uh, it's, it's legal in about half the states, for your listeners. In many of the states where it's not legal, consumers have taken the law into their own hands and they've created private clubs and co-ops where they work directly with farmers. So in, in probably every state, people are drinking fresh raw milk, um, but it's a, it's a debate. Um, many folks think that it um, has some really wonderful nutritional value. I can tell you from personal experience that it tastes fantastic. Um, and there are some people who are concerned because there is the potential for contamination. Um, there's nothing inherently dangerous about raw milk. First, you have to contaminate it with fecal matter and careful farmers will prevent that. But there's nothing perfect in life. The largest contamination of milk that ever occurred that sickened people came from a dairy in Chicago where they were pasteurizing the milk. So um, we have to be careful as food producers and consumers to make sure we're buying quality food and uh, raw milk is certainly an option that many people might want to investigate. Absolutely. So. Uh, what, in your opinion, is the biggest threat right now to organic standards? Well, I think, again, in a, from a macro standpoint, it's the um, industrialization and corporization of organics um, that we really need to, uh, as stakeholders, make sure that if people who are large come in, they're respecting the, the again, not only the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And, and likewise, we need to make sure that the USDA is doing the job in regulatory oversight because consumers that go into a grocery store in, in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas or Independence, Missouri, uh, who might not have access to uh, a natural foods co-op or a specialty retailer like Whole Foods um, that might not have the infrastructure of local farmers um, they need to be able to trust that organic seal. We need to protect that. Uh, from a micro standpoint, we need to look at the USDA and how they're operating. One of the aspects of approving um, synthetics and non-organic material is that um, the Congress decided that they would sunset every five years and have to be reevaluated. 
So for the last, um, since 2002, for <clears throat> over 10 years, um, the uh, National Organic Standards Board will look at any new research that's been published to make sure these materials are still safe, um, any anecdotal reports. Has anyone, any entrepreneur in the organic industry developed a certified organic alternative? Uh, we've seen that happen with some ingredient, food ingredients, where there wasn't anything available organic, and now you could buy organic soy lexithin as an ingredient, and if you need that as a manufacturer, you should be obligated to buy it in organic form. And so for the last five years, the National Organic Standards Board has reevaluated that. The corporations and the Organic Trade Association doesn't like the scrutiny that organic, or I'm sorry, synthetic ingredients are getting. So they've just um, issued an edict that every five years a committee will take a look at it and if the committee thinks there's no reason for it to come off the list the full board will ever evaluate it another aspect to this whole dance that the um, congress choreographed is that for any decisive vote by the nosb it takes a two-thirds majority not a simple majority so it really forces um, the members of the NOSB, National Organic Standards Board, to come to a consensus over materials. Are they safe or not? Um, so to relist something, to, to list something initially or relist it every five years, it's taken a two-thirds vote. It's a pretty good standard. And if we had a real National Organic Standards Board comprised, comprised of independent stakeholders rather than corporate shills, um, we would uh, see better oversight. But the, that wasn't even good enough, having this stacked board for the OTA and the USDA. They just decided, without any consultation from the board or the public, to make the vote every uh, five years at sunset to be a two-thirds majority requiring it to be removed from the list instead of a two-thirds majority to have it maintained on the list as it has in the past. So they turned this thing on its head, and because of the way the NOSB is stacked, it might be impossible to get something that uh, a lot of published peer-reviewed research says is dangerous, like carrageenan, out of organics. And uh, we are very concerned about this. It's likely this will end up in a court challenge. We need consumers to pay attention to the process and to stand with cornucopia and stand with farmers. In the meantime, as you suggested, they need to protect themselves. So there is a, um, a buyer's guide on the cornucopia website um, comparing all organic products. Uh, if you buy soy milk or if you buy sour cream or chocolate milk or ice cream, in every product category, there are brands you can buy that don't use carrageenan. And so you shouldn't wait for the NOSB and the USDA to act. You should act on behalf of your own family. And quite frankly, we did that buyer's guide because it really proves our thesis that carrageenan is not, quote, essential to organic production. You don't need carrageenan in chocolate milk to make organic chocolate milk. And, and the difference is when I was a kid, uh, you had to shake the chocolate milk before you served it. The carrageenan keeps the chocolate in suspension, 
and so you don't have to worry about shaking it. You know, I think most organic moms would rather shake um, their chocolate milk than to give their children something that could uh, cause, a, cause them physical harm. Yeah, I agree with you. So is there hope? Do you think that organic standards are safe and will remain intact? Well, the standards are good. You know, we're talking about enforcement here. And, um, and again, for the most part, I think organic products are safe. <clears throat> it's the exceptions that we're zeroing in on. And it's worth fighting for because organic, the organic certification process, with all its warts, is really still the gold standard. There are very few alternatives in the marketplace. If you want the um, highest quality and safest food for your family, who are, who are you going to trust? You're going to trust marketers to tell you um, that, that the food is really authentic? Um, again, if you have access to a good farmer's market and you can meet your local farmers, if you can join a CSA and get a box of fresh produce that was picked maybe 10 hours ago, rather than 10 days ago in California, you might have fresh California produce, but by the time it's in a, on a train or a truck, even if it's organic, when it gets to Wisconsin in the middle of the winter, it's not the freshest food we're eating. So if, if you have access to local markets, um, that's great. But for a lot of food, we need, um, if you're gonna buy great cheese, you might not have that um, produced locally in Malibu. You might need to buy a national brand and you need to trust that brand and you need to trust the organic certification process. We all can't afford to turn our back on this. Yeah, and I know a lot of mothers feel like or other people feel like they don't have time to do uh, all this research. They don't have time to go to the grocery store and to the farmer's markets. But people have to really make some choices and invest some time in their health and their food choices and reading ingredient lists and becoming food detectives if they plan on being healthy and living a disease-free life. Well, the organic seal should be the Cliff Notes version of doing that research. But until it is totally trustworthy, then we really encourage you to look and your listeners to look at these scorecards. If you want to know which eggs are produced by brands that buy from farmers that truly respect the, uh, the birds, that treat them respectfully, and um, produce eggs that are truly organic with birds that are outside, uh, that's your tool. And you only have to do it once or you only have to do it periodically um, and then figure out which brands are available in the local stores that, that you deal with. Um, but it's worth it. Uh, you know, we, we started out this show talking about human health. And, um, you know, most of us come or came initially to organics because what it doesn't have in there, and that's these residues of synthetic chemicals that we know in whatever level, even minute levels, can cause severe uh, health impacts. Um, but what more and more people are recognizing is that organic food is actually healthier in terms of nutritional constituents. So vitamins, antioxidants, um, uh, amino acids, um, omega-3 oils, um, these are many of the um, uh, health-enhancing compounds that if they're not in our food, they're not in us. And synthetic vitamins um, have a very questionable track record in terms of efficacy. We really need uh, excellent food 
to, um, there's something magical about these compounds when they're integrated in a food product rather than isolated in a, in a laboratory. And so more and more people want that food. And it's interesting that the um, com composition of the soil, which leads to these nutritional advantages, has a direct relationship to flavor. So um, <clears throat> the reason those homegrown tomatoes and local tomatoes taste better is that the soil's healthier and they can be picked at their height of ripeness for flavor and nutrition whereas if they were shipped that way across the country by the time they got to the grocery store they'd look like tomato paste instead of a nice heritage tomato heirloom tomato um, so let your taste buds help guide you as well you know, I have a question. What is the difference between an organic farm and a biodynamic organic farm? Well, um, they both, I would say, um, practice a form of organic agriculture. And organics can be everything from eating the letter of the law, which would be the floor, to going beyond organic in terms of many of the cultural practices on the land and how they treat their animals. In biodynamics, um, and, and I would encourage you to Google that, uh, your listeners on the websites, because there's a few <clears throat> wonderful biodynamic organizations that could go into much greater detail. But um, they incorporate care for the animals and the land that go further and also incorporate a, a spiritual component. Um, they look at the farm as a whole system, the farm, the animals, the regenerative nature, regenerating the nutrients. And they use um, biodynamic preparations where they might um, mix up some animal manure and age that over the winter actually buried in the ground um, with some starter compounds. And I, I like to compare that, Wendy, to um, 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 homeopathic medicine where minute amounts of material might cause a reaction or uh, probiotics where we ingest um, uh, certain strains of bacteria either in cultured food um, yogurts or sauerkraut or other food and and it populates our gut with different microflora that add, adds to our health so what farm biodynamic farmers do is spray these compounds in minute quality quantities out there in their fields and if they have the right um, favorable environment these microorganisms will grow and our our uh, a bucket of dirt has literally millions of live living critters organisms and these bacterium um, and other um, living uh, creatures help break down the organic matter and turn it into compounds that then the, the the plants can use as food. And so uh, biodynamics is just a uh, another form of organics. It's a very artful form. I've been very impressed with um, many of its practitioners. So if somebody says they <clears throat> are certified by Demeter, which is the group that certifies them, um, I would look at that with a high degree of respect. 
Yeah, the local grocery store I shop at um, sells biodynamic grapes, and I get really excited. There's these, there are these tiny little grapes, but they're so good, and you can just taste the the such a huge difference in the grapes that you're getting at Whole Foods per se. And and many times they're certified organic at the same time, but they certainly biodynamics also prevents all the synthetic shortcuts and <clears throat> crutches that conventional farmers use. Well, let's turn our conversation to GMOs, to genetically modified organisms or genetically engineered food. The current head of the FDA is a former employee of Monsanto, the biotech giant that has created and owns the patents to many GMO foods. So how and why have big biotechs like Monsanto been able to penetrate and assume pivotal positions in the government and change laws for their profit? Well, it's sad, and this is the difference why people say, well, why aren't there GMOs in all the food in Europe? And, and really, before, no matter what your passion is, um, protecting the environment, protecting our food supply, um, reforming our school systems, there's somebody who's beaten us to our elected officials with a $1,000 bill in their hands. So it really, um, we, we either have the best um, government money can buy or at least the best government money can rent. Besides for Michael Taylor, who is a lawyer for um, Monsanto, who's heading the food division at the FDA, the head of the USDA, Tom Vilsack, is the former biotechnology industry governor of the year. He's from Iowa. Um, and it's a little off topic, but the new head of the um, uh, FCC, Federal Communications Commission, <clears throat> is a former executive um, in the uh, telecommunications industry. Now he's supposed to be regulating them. So um, this is where Cornucopia and other um, uh, governmental watchdogs really need the help of the public to pay attention. Uh, we've had more GMOs approved by the USDA um, or certainly as many under Obama as we did um, under the Bush administration. Um, Mr. Obama, during his first campaign for presidency, promised that he would support labeling for um, GMOs in our food supply. That obviously hasn't happened. Um, we now see the FDA cracking down on food safety, as well they should, because we've had lots of uh, big widespread contamination problems, but they're not coming from <clears throat> family-owned um, fa uh, organic farms, but they might get uh, damaged as collater collateral um, uh, victims in uh, their efforts to crack down on food safety. So um, this money in politics is a really uh, poisoning our um, electoral process. and. Um, um, is really, I would guess I would say, poison our food supply because we are, we're contaminated with GMOs, we're contaminated with toxic pathogens, and um, not because they benefit um, uh, mankind um, and our society, but because they uh, benefit the bottom line of corporations. Do you think that GMO labeling in the U.S. will ever come to pass? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, it's not likely to happen on a federal basis anytime soon. And the industry, um, corporate agribusiness and biotechnology, 
had been able to pour uh, an ungodly amount of money in defeating the measure at any state. Um, and so the, the, the fight is not over. I can guarantee you that there will be efforts in other states, that it will come up again in California and Washington. Um, we're gaining a, a much higher awareness level so that people are going out of their way to find food without GMOs. And the best way to do that, the most credible way, is to seek out organic food, uh, certified organic food. Um, so I, I, I can't really forecast, but I can tell you for sure that the fight for labeling will continue. Yeah, I was really upset when the measure in California got defeated. I was so sure that we were going to win and change the the face of the food supply, but just not going to happen. The money talks. <laughs> money talks, and I think uh, there was a combination of problems in California and, and Washington. I'm about to write a piece about that. Um, one was that um, some of the biggest and wealthiest companies in organics sat this out. I talked about uh, Nature's Path. Uh, that family, I think, uh, con contributed $600,000 to the campaign in California for labeling. It's a private company. They didn't have to do that. They stuck, stuck their hand in their pocket and pulled out that $600,000 bill. Um, someone would have thought they were a hero if they had pulled out 100 or 200000 But th these are folks who are really um, dedicated. In California, during the entire campaign, Whole Foods, it's a $12 billion corporation. Monsanto's a $12 billion corporation. Monsanto contributed millions to defeating this in California. And Whole Foods um, refused during the entire campaign to donate anything. They said, well, we won't get involved in politics. And our, our response was, well, this is nonpartisan, and there's nothing legally preventing you from being involved. Um, they finally acquiesced, I think, somewhere within the last three days before the end of the campaign with twenty or $50,000, you know, which would be a lot of money to me, but in terms of these multi-million dollar campaigns and their capacity was uh, chicken feed. And it was so late that it wasn't able to be used instantly for kind of advertising purposes or would be doubtfully as usable. So. Uh, we didn't have the backing of Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and um, uh, uh, Haines Celestial um, and these really big companies, UNFI, that is the major distributor, United Natural Foods Incorporated. They basically all sat on the sidelines. If they had, between them, chipped in some serious money, this might have been one. The other problem, Wendy, was that the campaigns in Washington and California really highlighted um, the right to know, that it's a right to know what's in our food. And I, I really passionately believe that too. But they, they for whatever reason, uh, stayed away from talking about the problems with GMOs, the fact that regardless of what the industry says, there's virtually been no human health testing. There's been no testing on laboratory animals or virtually none again for long-term uh, whole life testing. So um, most of the uh, laboratory experiments have culminated with the um, animals being slaughtered after 30 to 90 days. Um, and, and so the longer studies have pointed to problems with organ development, problems with gastrointestinal health, um, 
there are uh, reports that now conclude that the um, uh, insecticide that they're incorporating through genetic engineering and corn is finding its way into mother's bloodstream and the bloodstream of the fetus. You know, w this is such a short-term blip in terms of human evolution. We really don't know what the implications are. We should be talking about this during the labeling campaign. If people uh, deserve the right to know, the question is why would they want to know about GMOs in their food? And we need to give them the facts so they can make intelligent decisions in the grocery stores and at the ballot box. Well, can you tell the listeners a little more about you and what you face on the horizon with the Cornucopia Institute? Sure, this would be a, a kind of a good way to wrap up. Um, we really, this, in, a, in America, you know, there's really only two kinds of power, money and people. And we can only win the fight to protect our food supply if um, we have all elements in the, in the good food movement come together here. So um, I know for many folks, and, and myself included, that there is a, a spiritual component to our consciousness now in terms of our food supply, that um, it's not um, very long ago that in, in almost every religious vernacular, we said grace before we ate and we meant it. That we knew that if we had a bad year and we didn't get rain and dew at the right time, our children literally starved to death. And we've started taking that for granted. And so we have um, uh, more and more people that are, are, are getting, uh, 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 providing a, a learning opportunity for their kids by gardening themselves, by going to the farmer's markets and meeting farmers by talking about the food, by engaging and preparing food with their family. So it's not just mental health. I think it's physical, uh, or I'm sorry, it's not just physical health. I think it's mental and spiritual health as well. And um, when we hear about these factory farms involved in organics and, and imports from the third world, um, we feel betrayed. So I think um, it's really important for far, for farmers and consumers to educate themselves and then to step up. If you sign up as a member of Cornucopia, and, and that's uh, Cornucopia, let me spell that again for your listeners. There are people who work here can't even spell it. <laughs> C-O-R-N-U-C-O-P-I-A. So cornucopia.org. And if you either join as a member or sign up for our free uh, electronic newsletter, you'll also get our email action alert. So the next time your voice can make a difference of when the government's not doing their job or a corporation is um, abusing consumer trust, that we can all act together to maintain the authenticity of the organic label. And I think that's really the most important thing on the horizon is that we all act together to save what we've all built and that's an alternative food supply. Yeah, I've been getting your newsletter for many, many years, and I urge all the listeners to join and at the very least uh, start sign up for the newsletter and get involved, get involved, get informed about what's going on on the organic horizon. And you can also 
take, uh, you know, participate in the action alerts and sign the petitions and send in the proxies to protect our organic standards and our food supply and ultimately our health. So thank you, Mark, for coming on the show. I truly admire you for the wonderful work that you're doing to protect our food supply and the safety of our food supply. It's constantly under threat, and we need people like yourself in the front lines, you know, defending what healthy food we have left. So thank you so much for, you know, not only talking the talk, but walking the walk. You live on a 160-acre organic farm yourself. So thank you for dedicating your life to protecting America's small family farms and organic standards. Well, thanks very sincerely for your kind words, Wendy, and we appreciate you uh, helping connect us with your um, uh, listenership, and, and we know they care about these issues. Well, thank you so much. If you want to learn more about the paleo diet, weight loss, or how to do a serious detox, not a detox in a box, you can find me on liveto110.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at I Will Live to 110. And I'm also on YouTube at Wendy Live to 110. If you like what you heard on the show, please give the Live to 110 podcast a review on iTunes. I need reviews to push the show further up the charts and into the search engine. So I would appreciate it so much if you could just take a couple minutes of your day and give me a nice review. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Remember, you should seriously consider only eating organic food or as your grandparents called it, food. All food was organic just a few decades ago. It's nothing new. It's not a trend. It's just something that we've... uh, uh, organics have just had to be incorporated into our food supply because of all the the dangers in our food supply that Mark talked about today. So thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.